Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. It's January 27, 2014, and this is episode 406. This week, I'm pleased to be joined once again by Don Komarechka. And you probably re- remember Don was on this uh, this podcast, a co- I think it was exactly a year ago now. And a couple of times we've, we've spoken mainly about printing because that's one of our common passions. But uh, Don is a photographer based in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and a fellow This Week in Photo co-host. So Don has recently self-published a book on his incredible snowflake photography and learned a lot in the process. So I'm going to be picking his brains today. So welcome back to the show, Don. Thank you so much for having me again, Martin. And uh, you know, I, it's it's funny you mentioned that the project and picking my brains. That I made so many mistakes in this project and learned so much. Mm. So uh, so pick away. There's there's lots of juicy details that I'm sure everybody that's ever thought of something like this would find very useful. Well, that's what I'm thinking. It's you know, I know that this was your first time going through this process, but those mistakes are you know, as we say, we learn by them. So. I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to because the only self-publishing I've done is one book years ago that I did on Blurb, and that was really for me and participants of the first um, winter workshop that I did in Hokkaido. So, I I haven't really done a self-published print book, or not really. I haven't done one at all. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to learn stuff today, and uh, and I hope that as we say, you know, this sharing this with the audience is what it's all about. So, let's jump into it. All right. Well, let's start with uh, with Blurb. Uh, you, you mentioned that, and I want to know more about that project that uh, that you had put together. Um, did you create it using the Blurb software, or because I know that they let you upload PDFs and everything else yeah. inside of that as well? Yeah. Um, for for those that aren't familiar, Blurb is a service where you can basically create a book, hmm. uh, whether you're using your own software like Adobe InDesign uh, yeah. or some of the the tools that they provide, and print them on demand. Yeah. And um, and so I've done that as well. And my first book, my very first experiment with this kind of stuff, again, a couple of years ago as well, mm. uh, used it. And I was pretty happy with it. Um, but there was a few downsides, a cost being one of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the One of the reasons why I think exactly zero of the participants actually bought the book was because even though I added like a dollar for my time, it, they are expensive. Um, in answer to your question, yes, I use the the Blurb software, and I know that it's probably I haven't downloaded it and installed it again since. But I this was the literally the I think it was two thousand and eight when I did this. So we're talking six years ago now, um, and the software itself wasn't bad. I, I wasn't. Uh, totally, you know, displeased with the software. There, the there are a few problems, and one, the main one being that relying on the Blurb software means that I no longer have a copy of that book because it disappeared with an old computer, and I don't recall ever being able to find a way to actually export the book in a in a a format that I I could use, and I didn't really think about it at the time. But yeah, I mean, the, the, you design the book in the Blurb software and then you press upload and it goes off to their site. And you, and at least from as I spent a number of hours trying to do this, 
there was no way for me to even download the book from Blurb again. So, you know, and if anyone knows how to do this, then just let me know. I'm not sure if I really need it now. But I basically lost all of the work that I put into the book because it was all in the software. Um, whereas if I'd have done it in InDesign or something like that, I could have kept all of that. And so, you know, that's, that's something to, to think about. Right. Um, so yeah, the, the price though, it was, it was expensive. Um, I didn't, like I say, I didn't find the software, the software too bad. Uh, but be- as soon as you put a book together with a, with more than a few pages in it to print on demand, it is expensive. Um, but you know, I mean, normally if I was to go back to blurb now, I would probably do it because I was going to not produce something that I wanted to have people buy as a, as a book, like, like your book that we're going to be talking about today. Um, it would probably be more for producing a, a bound portfolio of my work or things like that. Uh, so, you know, I, I probably view view Blurb differently now than I did back then. Um, well, I, I will be using Blurb again myself at some point in the future. Mm, I'm yeah. putting together a small portfolio of work. Um, uh, last year, uh, a little bit over a year ago now, I had uh, gone on a trip into the Yukon wilderness. And uh, it was a that. lot of fun, and the, uh, the the hunters that had taken me uh, alongside them, uh, I'm going to produce a sort of a small photo book of just the images taken there to give them as a gift. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm a, might only be making ten copies of it. So blurb is the solution when you're printing in low volume like that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and yes, it's going to cost you a heck of a lot more per copy. But, uh, and, and if we talk numbers, I, I think it's around like for an 80 page book, you know, an eight by 10 kind of landscape style book, it might cost you around $45 or something. And that's your cost to order a book. Yeah. Uh, at least that's what the prices were at the time that I had uh, done one a while back. They're probably similar today. Yeah. And, and so, you know, th- that's, that's a huge cost and very little in the way that, uh, that you can mark that up before people get turned off by it. Yeah. Um. Uh, and and yeah, it's a good business model for Blurb. They're they're doing very well for themselves. Mm. Um, but it it doesn't really allow a photographer to to sell their work. Uh, but it, again, it, it's great for a portfolio, like you said. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what I'm going to be doing going forward. I think. Um, and another thing to to remember as well is now you can actually create your books in Lightroom and just send them straight to Blurb. Um, oh, and that's so convenient. Right. Right, and and it gives you the you know you could, you've got the spine area, so you can put your name in there, and I have played around with with the uh, the books module in Lightroom since that was added, and so you know the problems that I had eight well six years ago are probably gone away, um, and they've probably gone away even if you just use the Blurb software now. But uh, that was my experience. But I, for sure, I think that they're great for low volume, um, but if you are going to do something where you need more than a, a handful of copies, then probably self-publishing is is the way to go. But they, I mean, I'm sure that you didn't find it easy to do this either. Um, so we're going to work through a few of those uh, a few of those issues as we as we start to talk about this. So tell us about the book itself, Don. You know, I mean, obviously you're you're well known for your beautiful snowflake images, and I can imagine that you know I understand that the reason why you wanted to put this together but you know obviously you had a lot of choices and how to how to actually go about this which is what I want to talk about so tell us first about the book itself well I uh, I knew that I was uh, gathering content for a book, even though I hadn't really committed to do it yet. Mm. Um, I, I'm kind of science-minded and technically oriented as a as a photographer, and a lot of my work reflects that. But you know, I have 
a, a desire to, to learn about the things that I photograph. Mm. You know, if it's, uh, you know, photographing a, a bug that I haven't seen before, you know, I'll take the picture, then I'll run home and try and look it up and figure out what the heck's going on. Or, yeah. you know, the, the same thing where I'll, I'll see something strange in a photograph and I want to try and figure that out. And snowflakes uh, offer that kind of curiosity in abundance. Mm. So I, I started digging into all the, the fun science and I started amassing, uh, you know, a lot of uh, research and, and, and knowledge on the topic of not just how to shoot them, mm. uh, but how they form and, and the physics involved. And, and I found that pretty fascinating. And I thought to myself, well, you know, if I think that's fascinating, I know I'm not exactly the average guy, mm. uh, but I'm sure there's other people out there that might find it interesting as well. Mm. And... Uh, you know, th there's a big risk in in putting that together, and and the book has all the science and all the photographic techniques and everything that I I wanted to make into it. Mm. So I made it as a book that that I as as myself would have loved to read. Yeah. But that, that now that's risky because I can't go and self publish this and commit a huge amount of money to a book that I'm not sure anybody's going to buy. Uh, and so, you know, there was uh, a, a few questions going back and forth. Well, if I put it on blurb, what's the cost going to be? It was astronomical. It ended up being some stupid, crazy number like, you know, $300 a copy or something silly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was just outside the realm of possibility. Mm. Um, but I thought, well, if people are genuinely interested in, uh, in this content, and, uh, and, and it seemed to be that way. You know, I was starting to build up an audience online at the time. You know, a lot of my um, online uh, audience and following has actually come directly from Snowflakes. Yeah. Uh, for the past, this is year number three that I'm doing it. I've done uh, what I call uh, my Snowflake a Day project. Yeah. And uh, actually, the day that we record this is, uh, is uh, the midpoint in this year's project. It's day number 50. I do it for 100 days uh, of winter. That's about how much winter we have here. Mm. And... Uh, and so uh, every day I'm posting a new image and, and engaging with people. And there was some genuine interest. So I thought, well, let's just throw this out there and see if a crowdfunding campaign was going to be a way that I can you know, get this book uh, up and running as yeah. far as you know, gathering the funds to afford a production run and be able to promote and, uh, and get books in the hands of people at the same time. So uh, investigating that was, uh, was interesting. Have you looked into that process at all, Merton? I haven't. I've, I've certainly thought about it. There's, there's one product that I'm thinking to, to try to bring to market that it will cost a certain amount, a, a reasonably large amount, to actually create the initial stock. So I'm, I'm considering it, but... You know, from from my perspective, I I'm not sure whether I'll do it or not. But of course, you know the the timing with the, you know we're talking Kickstarter here. The um, I think actually in your in your in Canada you couldn't use Kickstarter, could you? It was a different it was a different company. Kickstarter is now friendly to Canadians, but at the time uh, that I was crowdfunding, it wasn't. You'd need to have a U.S. bank account, or uh, yeah. you'd have to use some weird tricks to uh, to sign up for it. I so I used it. I used Indiegogo. And, yeah, uh, I remember now. Yeah, they are a very similar service to Kickstarter uh, yeah. in much the same way. They um, they allow you to do either flexible funding or fixed funding. And mm. for a project like this, um, the, the difference is fixed funding means that if you hit your goal, you get the money. If you don't hit your goal, then everybody keeps their money and you get nothing. Yeah. Uh, where a flexible funding means that you'll take all the money uh, that's given into you, but you know, Indiegogo would take then a larger percentage of it. 
I see. Uh, but f- uh, fixed funding, where you know, if I didn't hit the goal, then uh, nothing was done. That was perfect. Yeah. That would be risk free because if I hit the goal. Uh, then that means I've got enough to produce the book. Right. Whereas if I only got 30% of the way there, I mean, what am I going to do with everybody's money? Uh, you know, I, I'd have to find some way to refund it and I couldn't do the book for that amount. So yeah. uh, I, I set the goal to, uh, to be $15,000, yeah. which sounds like a lot of money. Uh, and it is. But in, in the, uh, the publishing world, that's sort of where things start. You can't really do much uh, if you have anything less than that. Hmm. But it's not like you're in investing in a, a new television or a car or or something like that. You're investing in in basically stock of a product that you're then going to use to uh, you know to to sell and 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 make some money hopefully. Yeah. And so I figured fifteen thousand dollars would get me a thousand copies of the book at some some limited specs that I had. It was the original design was. Um, Eight inches square, uh, and uh, had some you know fairly basic paper and and that kind of stuff. And I figured if if I can hit that goal, then I can make a go of it. I can at least try this and, and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, and you you can pretty much guarantee that friends and family are going to come on board with enough poking and prodding. Mm. Uh, and so you know you might get you know between ten and thirty percent of of whatever money you need uh, from from that group of people. But beyond that. Uh, you need to sort of look at the internet at large and you have to spend a lot of time marketing and pushing that just about full-time work yeah trying to be your own promotion engine your own marketing team mm. uh, to to get the word out and and generate interest and uh, I had a few lucky breaks along the way I had some great media exposure mm. uh, throughout that process indieGogo had uh, uh, they'd put me in one of their newsletters and that was helpful uh, I had uh, five minutes of airtime in between shows on the this week in tech studios um, uh, at the round table sitting in with Leo Laporte yeah. and uh, and I had you know a, a few little shout outs here on uh, this week in photo and that kind of stuff in addition to all the uh, you know, the, the Facebook the Google plus the even a little bit on Twitter anywhere that I could uh, you know not really do a hard sell but Say, hey, guys, you want to see this happen? Yeah. Come and help out. And, you know, I find that the, the audience uh, was far more receptive to that than if I had produced a book and said, all right, uh, it's now for sale. Who wants one? Mm. I think that I, 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 I signed up for a few Indiegogo campaigns myself mm. because I wanted to see the product exist. Yeah. And I wanted to feel like I was a part of that success, yeah. and uh, and so you can generate a, a, a larger number of um, of contributors uh, and people that are helping you out simply by by asking for it and saying, you know what, if I don't get enough help, this isn't going to happen. Right. And uh, and so if I can get everybody behind me, then uh, then th- this this will take shape and uh, it will be a material possession that that you'll have in about a year's time. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I. I learned, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago in a podcast, but I learned a, a long time ago that people are a lot faster th- with their mouths than their wallet. And, you know, you, when you say, if you just send out uh, the word and say, okay, I'm thinking of doing this, who's interested? You might get 100 people saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that, I'll do that. And then when it actually comes to putting some money down, then you, you find maybe 10, 20% actually will pay pay the money for something so if you you know just by forcing the issue and actually getting the money or the commitment to pay the money up front is is huge really when you're producing something that you've got to have x amount of dollars before it can even start 
So I, I think that, I mean, I said briefly earlier, the timing, these kind of services have only really just started to take off. And I, uh, I've invested in, in Kickstarter projects as well. And I, I think that they are, yeah, they, they're just a great idea for someone that has exactly that, a great idea, but not doesn't have the funding uh, or maybe maybe has the funding but doesn't want to take the risk. Um, I think, like I say, that just the forcing the issue and actually making the you know making people give you a, a promise that they will buy the product if you create it is is just changing the way people are doing projects. It, it, it's very freeing to individuals. You know, the, the previous publishing world, like I would have had to have gone to a publisher, yeah, and uh, I would have had to you know made all sorts of concessions and uh, you know I probably have to, um, maybe they would pay me in advance or maybe I would get royalties, but there'd be a contract involved to figure all that out. Uh, and generally, it, it's not very fair towards the author. You know, of course, it favors the publisher. Right. Uh, and, and rightly so. I mean, they're employing far more people than just the author. Um, but, you know, you get the, the smaller share of it. And, uh, and you'd always have somebody, I, I don't want to say uh, breathing down your neck, but you would have uh, people telling you, it's like, well, you know, this might not fit a general audience, or maybe you could cut this because we're trying to cut down the cost of the book, or maybe you could elaborate on this. And, and so you're sort of bending to the will to some degree of mm. somebody else. Mm. And because my book was fairly specialized and niche and technical and, and uh, you know, in, in some ways, uh, just a, you know, a, an oddball topic, you know, some of the stuff that I'm uh, rambling on about, you know what, I, I might talk about um, why triangle snowflakes are cool. And yes, I can do a two-page spread on that because I said so. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and so having that amount of freedom is, uh, is kind of fun. And it's also a little scary, though, because uh, I don't know if anybody's going to find interest in that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's also less risky because regardless of what's in there, people mm -hmm. have already said they're buying it. And, and so I know for sure that I've got that, uh, you know, the, the, the funds to produce the book in hand mm. and, uh, and that I can sort of go forward and make the book that I want. And if I sell more because people love it, then, uh, then I sell more. If not, then I'm stuck with, uh, you know, a room full of books for the rest of my life. Yeah. So, so in the end, you know, you did the Indiegogo project. You, you got, did you, obviously you, you met your, uh, your goals, but and exceeded it exactly so you created more books than than you'd actually promised so obviously you know you've got you've got stock now so how did you how was that all planned out was that like the idea from the start so the idea from the start of course was to uh, to produce uh, as many books as i could but when i passed the funding goal i also increased the book size yeah. you know it's uh, it's now i think 9 inches square and improved the cover quality to have a nice uh, sort of semi gloss where parts of it are gloss parts of it are matte it, just, it looks really sharp yeah um and uh, improving the the whiteness of the paper that's used and and that kind of stuff and so I, I tried to, to do all of that, and I was able to produce 3,000 copies of the book as well. Mm. Um, now, at, at no small amount, though, um, because I was able to raise 25,000. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I love being so transparent about this because the, the book from the very beginning has been, you know, all the numbers have been public knowledge. And it's so much fun to just, you know, go out there and, and play with these numbers. Mm. Um, but it's... Um, 
so the the printer that I had used uh, was one that I had uh, been familiar with in the past because they print Outdoor Photography Canada, which is a magazine that I uh, I write for quite often. I've got a column in there in every issue mm. and uh, a few uh, feature articles now and then. I got one coming up in the next issue as well. Mm. And uh, and so I've seen my images printed uh, from this printer. And in fact, they did an article on, on my snowflakes early on in my career. And so I had that as an example, how the print quality would look with those images. And I was on board. You know, it looked good. Mm. And uh, they recommended that the same paper type and uh, actually upgraded it a little bit. Mm. And, uh, and so, you know, when, when it went through their pre-press department, uh, they... Uh, they picked up all sorts of little things like, you know, the bleed on this page is, you know, uh, one sixteenth of an inch, not long enough. You mm -hmm. know, do you want to go and fix that? Or um, if if you notice uh, on the book, the, the spine does not have the gloss coating around the spine. And they had said, well, if, uh, if you put it there, there's a chance that when it gets bound, uh, it might crack. Mm -hmm. And so do you want to fix that? And they gave me a whole list of things that, you know, that, that should be improved and, and fixed along the way. Yeah. There was one thing, though, that caused a lot of turmoil that they didn't quite mention, mm. and, uh, and they probably should have, and it resulted in a complete reprint of the entire book project. Wow, what was that? So, um, for those that aren't familiar, the, the, press, um, uh, the press printing world is quite a bit different from the, um, the, the photographic printing world, where you're using an inkjet printer, and, uh, and we talked about that before, and, and you, th there's no end to the, the details and, and stuff that you can talk about uh, with regards to that. But mm. when you have uh, press printing, there's two main types of presses that can be used. Uh, one is called a web press. And uh, this press technology has paper on a gigantic spool. Mm. Uh, we're, we're talking huge, like four to, a floor-to-ceiling width um, uh, of, of paper. And mm. it feeds through a press uh, under tension. And it goes through four different colors, uh, cyan, yellow, magenta, and black. Mm. Not necessarily in that order. I can't remember exactly. Mm. But uh, the CMYK printing process. And uh, it goes through and applies the, uh, the ink from... Um, uh, from special plates that they have made up that uh, that then get transferred onto a uh, a rubber um, uh, blanket they call it and mm. then it goes onto the paper mm. and it goes through all of those and then it goes through a heater that in a matter of a couple of seconds will completely dry the ink and then it goes through a, an automated folding process and and this technology has been around for for probably centuries at this point, mm. uh, the, the machine that had printed the book, I think, was built in the uh, in the 1970s, but retrofitted with some digital controls. Mm. The problem was, um, for those that haven't seen my snowflake images, a lot of the backgrounds on the images are black. Yeah, or very close to black. Yeah, they're very ink heavy. Yeah, and uh, when you have paper that's under tension, and you add a lot of moisture to it in the form of ink, mm. and then you very quickly dry that, mm. it causes the pages to ripple. Ah, okay, okay. And uh, so, you know, uh, this was one of those things where, at, you know, in the pre-press department, they probably should have mentioned something about that. Mm. Uh, and uh, it, it hadn't been mentioned at that time. Mm. I'd actually inquired about another type of uh, printing technology, which I'll mention in a little bit, mm. but they didn't offer any advantage to going to it, mm. uh, except for the higher price, which certainly isn't an advantage. Mm. So, um, the, uh, the, the books, uh, came in, I, I was, um, only on press for the first couple of pages to come off the press yeah. and, um, 
and one of the pages had come off and I had seen this little rippling. I think the technical term is fluting. Mm. And the, uh, the, the main press person just kind of uh, uh, shrugged their shoulders and gave me some literature on it and said, well, there, there's no way to avoid it. Mm. Um, and so I'm thinking, okay, well, will that settle out? And eh, he said, maybe. And mm. so I'm not really feeling too confident about that. Mm. Um, the books arrived and uh, that page rippling, I guess, had amplified uh, over because a lot of the pages had that same thing in, right. in roughly the same sequence. So, and so you know, I'm, I'm going to jump in here because I, um, you sent me a copy from the first press run and the second, and yep. that was, that was the only difference that I could find. And I was trying to figure out what, why it was, but when I look at the books, I hold the two books together and look at them from the top. The, the first one is rippled all of the pages in perfect synchron synchronization are rippled and you can see it from the top, can't you? And yes, I, you can, uh, I, especially I, from the top. Yeah, I, I just, well, yeah, I mean, I, I was trying to figure out what the difference was and that was the only thing I could find. But I, I could not for the life of me guess why that had happened. I thought, I actually sent you an email just before we started talking and asked if the paper was thinner. Um, but I guess, I guess it isn't. I did, did you change it, the it paper? It is, but we'll get to that in, in, in a ah, minute. Okay. Uh, so, you know, there, there, there's so many things for me to learn in this process, mm. right? And, and so I, I've not been exposed to this, uh, and I'm lending on the knowledge of others, uh, or leaning on it, rather, to, to, to build up my own knowledge and, and my own experience. And uh, so I, I, I get the, the idea that, okay, th this is a problem, but, you know, I was given a list of all these other problems, and so what's going on here? And they said, well, you know, if, if the books sit for a while, the rippling will go away. And I'm thinking, well, I don't have a little while. Mm. I, I got to get this book out before Christmas. Mm. And uh, especially when the books would have to sit out and uh, be exposed to air, the rippling will fade, but it won't ever completely go away. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, that's... You know, for the amount of effort that I've put into this project, uh, I'm I'm going to take this all the way home. You know, I'm mm. going to make this. Uh, you know, that, that that final mile to the finish line. You know, I'm 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 going to make it, and then I'm just going to keep on running. So, uh, I negotiated with them to uh, to reprint the book and using a uh, a different printing technology altogether yeah. and a slightly thicker paper stock just to be sure. Ah, and okay. uh, and so the original print run of the book cost around twenty five thousand, which is about the, the money that I had raised. Mm. Um, but the upgrade printing cost was much higher. It was around uh, pretty close to to thirty five thousand. Mm. And so I figured, well, you know what, um, you know if. That they were willing to eat the cost of the first print run, I'd be willing to pay the difference between the two, and so I that's see. what we did. And and so the uh, the, the books were reprinted uh, using the new uh, press technology that should have been recommended to the beginning, but we came to an agreement, and uh, and everything's all well and good there. Mm. The the different press technology that the book was finally printed on is mm. called a sheet fed press. Mm where the paper coming into the printer is on, uh, as the name would imply, uh, a whole series of sheets. Yeah. And, uh, and so they'll, they'll run by one at a time. And, uh, and as they run through the, the press, uh, they'll just sort of sit on top of each other and dry naturally without going through a heater. Mm -hmm. So there, there's no rippling problem that would be introduced uh, from that press technology. Mm. And uh, and a slightly thicker paper stock as well, just you know to be sure that, that there's no problems. You know mm. you don't want to do this a third time, of course. Mm. Um, now 
uh, on a stipulation that I would be there for the entire press run and sign off on every page that came off of the press so that the <laughs> printer and myself are both sure that everything is perfect. Now, uh, to put that in perspective, uh, the book was on press for 36 hours straight. Mm. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the people on the press, I mean, they rotate, I think, in 12-hour shifts. And mm. uh, so I saw the same guys, uh, and then they went home and spent time with their families and had dinner and slept and came back the next day, and I hadn't done any of that. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm still, about every half hour, they would call me. They had a little suite on site uh, that, that I would uh, sort of crawl back up to and uh, lie in a chair for about 15 minutes before the phone would ring, and I'd have to go back down and um, sign off on another page that was coming off of the press. And it's a good thing that I did because there was a few uh, issues here and there, not many, but enough that I'm happy that I was there mm. uh, to correct them right on site. And, uh, and the, the fun thing was, um, the first book, and you might have to look closely at some of the snowflake images, especially towards the back or mm. um, some of the parts of the book that have screen captures mm. uh, from Lightroom or Photoshop. Mm. The colors aren't 100% perfect on every page. Uh, okay. uh, and that's because the first press uh, was all corrected by eye. Mm. Uh, as far as the color and the density and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it might run out of spec as that particular signature of, uh, of pages runs through. A signature is 16 pages. It's one big sheet that gets folded into 16 smaller pages. Mm. And um, so th that's sort of how they print it. Mm. And, uh, and so if, if one looked good, you know, halfway through the print run, uh, the same pages might not look exactly the same. And I so see. there was a certain amount of inconsistency uh, within their tolerance, they said, but it still kind of bugged me a little bit when some snowflakes turned a little bit blue or turned a little bit magenta. Mm. Um, and there was some issues with that that I wasn't 100% happy with. Mm. Um, but the second uh, print run uh, was uh, calibrated by automated equipment. And uh, you would have been pretty impressed to see this, Martin. Mm. And full disclosure, both uh, uh, Martin Bailey and myself uh, are part of X-Rite's Colorati program. Yeah, congratulations yeah. on that. I'm glad that well, went well. You. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of that. And uh, and my book was actually calibrated by an X-Rite IntelliTrack system. Mm. And uh, this was a lot of fun because what the press operator would do is, uh, you know, uh, at the top of, of every sheet, there there's a small little test chart that runs along the, the top boundary that then goes into this scanner. And so they'll, they'll calibrate it every time uh, a new page is going through. Mm. And periodically, like every five minutes or so, the people on the press would just pull out one of the sheets, run it through the calibrator, and it would on the fly recalibrate the the entire printer mm. uh, to like without stopping or changing anything to make any adjustments that were necessary. That's and cool. so the consistency across the entire press uh, the entire entire press run is uh, is pretty stable, and it's nice to see that you know the uh, the colors come out exactly as they should. So, so when you say that, that were they were they looking at the page, or are they looking at the little patches of color that they print on the side of things? You know, for for that, you know, what were they actually reading? The just the 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 pages, the printed pages of the book itself. So they would be reading that test chart automatically. Okay. And they would be doing a visual check across the uh, uh, across the page, and that's what I was doing as well. So they would put it under some special, um, I guess, full spectrum lighting, and mm. uh, they would let me inspect it as close as I'd like. And I would point out, okay, well, this one section here looks a little bit too blue. Can you adjust the calibration mm. um, uh, and 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 get back to me on that? And then you know, 
a few minutes go by and a, a fresh page comes out and, and I take a look at that. It's like, all right, you know, that's perfect. Go with it. Or can you make these further adjustments? Mm. And, um, and then when they had that as a reference uh, and the calibrator also doing its thing, mm. those two in conjunction made the entire run, uh, you know, stable throughout and they would make sure that it stayed that way and i pure like i just uh, when i got the all the books here when the, the second print run arrived um i opened up some boxes at random and, and i looked at the same pages uh, mm. some pages that were problematic on the first print run and they were all perfect and yeah. you know that alone just made me breathe a sigh of relief mm. and the pages on the second print run were perfectly flat yeah and the book's actually a slight little bit thicker too because of that thicker page quality yeah i, I uh, could see that good. yeah and uh, and so now I you know I've got the new books in my hand and I you know I when I say breathe a sigh of relief I hadn't done that for months you know staying up at night just because you know you got too much to worry about there's a lot on the line because it's not just a book project you know I'm putting a lot of myself into this project yeah and you have to you know when when you're wearing all the hats yeah. you know I'm I'm the photographer but I'm also the editor I'm also the writer I'm also mm. the the layout designer the publicist and uh, and uh, doing all the stuff with the printing and and so you know. With all that going on, uh, it it kind of bothered me that as soon as I let the book get out of my hand, something did go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but up until that uh, that point, and and after everything was solved, I was like, okay, now now we can move on. You know that 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 yeah. was one of the uh, the mistakes. I guess I just didn't know enough about the process. Well, uh, you, you, I think you did. You, you probably already put yourself in a position to know more than most. But I, uh, I, you know, a. a applaud you hats off for for actually going in there and spending that 36 hours because that's that's dedication that not a lot of people would have done i've um, got a picture uh, maybe i'll send it to you to, to put in the, uh, the the blog post of me uh standing over all of the uh, the pages at the press after they've just all come off of the press oh send, and, send uh, me a copy please i will send you a copy and uh, please don't judge me i was awake for about 44 hours at that point and uh <laughs> And uh, uh, I don't look my best, but man, I'm smiling. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> so, okay. I mean, obviously you've, you've now, we've talked through the process of the printing and everything. You, you, um, obviously let's step back a little bit. We talked a little bit, a little bit about how you can design the book in, uh, in Lightroom now. And there's the blurb software and stuff like that. Obviously you wouldn't use that here. How did you actually go through and design the book itself? What software tools did you use? So I had previously, when I was using Blurb in the past, uh, I had used InDesign, and that's always mm. been an option from Blurb. Yeah. And I had I'd learned some, I, and I, when I say very basic, I mean very basic InDesign skills for mm. you know uh, dropping image blocks and text blocks around and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I figured, you know, that wasn't too difficult to learn. Mm. Let's try and uh, and learn a little bit more about that and, and do the book in, in InDesign. Mm. And so uh, I talked to the the printer about the specs that they would need, how much of a bleed they need on the edges and, mm. uh, and that kind of stuff. And... Uh, Resubscribed to Lynda.com uh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and looked at some of their tutorials there. To uh, you know, I, I usually just sit through and just uh, with uh, a seemingly blank stare, uh, without anybody bugging me, I'll just watch 
all the basics, you know, every mm. single one back to back before I even open up InDesign. Mm. Uh, and then I open it up, see how much I can remember and go back to the videos where, you know, I, I saw something about this. Let's go and find yeah. a video relating to it and uh, refresh my memory as mm. I go. Mm. And uh, so, it, you know, that took a little bit of time, but I, I learned a new piece of software, a very powerful piece of software yeah. uh, in the process. I, you know, I've, so, I've done the same thing. I, I learned how to use InDesign to a, to a certain degree. Um, exactly the same way. Yeah, it, this is probably we're probably talking, I don't know, maybe three versions ago now. But I, uh, I, I was at the time I needed to learn it and went to Lynda.com. It's it's the best place for learning that kind of software. Really, uh, I completely agree. And and so um, you know, I I learned a lot in there that I hadn't thought of to, to begin with. That mm. really sped up the process of. Um, you know, building the table of contents at the beginning of the book and building the index at the end of the book mm. and keeping all that stuff linked together. And, and you, it, just certain things like um, uh, running headers on the top that have the, the chapter title um, that changes when the chapter changes. And mm. even if you drag pages and put them into different sections of the book, all that stuff automatically updates and, mm. and all of the, the links in the index and the table of contents automatically update so the right. page numbers stay the same. And, you know, if if you set that up properly, then it it's just it's a joy because you just worry about the content and yeah. you don't worry about all the flow and the organization and, and that kind of stuff. It's just easy. Yeah. Well, I I wanted to say you know on the on the design you to say that you've you've completed the book yourself. You've done all of your own editing and and the layout. You've done a really really good job. It's very impre- it's impressive. I mean, obviously your attention, your professionalism, and your attention to detail are shining through in the book. Well, when I uh, each snowflake uh, takes about four hours of editing in Photoshop to complete mm. the image, mm. and so the whole project was uh, in in some way attention to detail uh, oriented right from the beginning. Mm. Uh, and so, I mean that that mentality had followed through to the design. My um, uh, my formal education is in advertising, mm. and uh, and so we had taken some graphic design courses, and we had learned uh, not InDesign but uh, Quark Express, which is very similar. Oh, I software remember that, there. yeah. And um, and so I I had at least some of a background knowledge that I had gained from that into mm. you know what what layouts look good, and I worked at an ad agency for about a year as well, and mm. so you know it's funny um, as a photographer. Uh, a lot of my uh, my former education skills come become very useful uh, in what I do because being a photographer is not necessarily about taking pictures. It's about being a small business owner and it, it's about wearing all those different hats. And so a background in advertising is very helpful. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, I had education in software development and yeah. I use that all the time when I'm doing web design stuff. Yeah. And uh, I know Martin, you and I uh, both pull out our hair uh, with the challenges of web designs, but they're challenges that we can take because right. we've got a certain skill set to handle that instead of giving it off to somebody else, which uh, it might result in fewer headaches, yeah. but it's also not going to give you exactly what you want. Yeah. And uh, and you know, for projects like this, getting exactly what I was after was kind of the end goal. Mm. And that's so that's so much of a big part of of my you know we're, we're touching on here all of this stuff. We've got very similar backgrounds in that. I mean, I I was I know I'm I'm a, a bit older than you, but I actually went back to college when I was twenty. What would what would I have been? Um, I was about 28 when I went back to college here in Japan. And 
we were learning Quark Express and I'd, I did the a multimedia course. So literally I was learning Photoshop. I think it was version four or three. I, <laughs> I was I was being taught uh, Illustrator and Macromedia Director and, and, and Quark Express. And there was all of this sort of stuff. So, you know, we've got a lot of that similar background. Um, but you, you mentioned earlier, probably we should add professional photographer or, or as a business, because you said being a photographer is about being a business owner. Right. Obviously, right. The, you know, that if you to do it as a business, then yeah, I mean, there's so much stuff. And it's not just about the, the technical side. I mean, you've obviously you've got to be an accountant, you've got to be a marketer, you've got to be everything. And, and until you get large enough that you actually start to take on staff or work with other people, you have to be able to do all of that yourself. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good. I mean, I, I am thoroughly enjoying it, though. And I'm, and I'm sure you are, you know, just being able to get your hands dirty in so many areas, but then also to be able to to learn so many more skills it's it's been the last three years for me have been incredible as i as i built i mean for me as well as a westerner i'm learning all of the intricacies of of, of like corporate law in japan rather than a western country i mean i probably couldn't speak intelligently about how companies are running in western countries but i know a hell of a lot about how it works here in japan so it's all great experience it is, and and you know when it all comes down to it, um, you know, photography um, used to be an escape for me. You know, it was something where you know I'd get away from the doldrums of of life and work and that kind of stuff, and I'd get out and I'd be creative. And you know, it's funny; it kind of comes full circle at this point. Photography is still an escape for me mm. uh, because I, I get to get away from all the desk work <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, all, all those, you know, wearing the accounting hat and, and you know, all, all the other stuff that, you know, is, is sort of bogging me down. Mm. And uh, when I get out and, and uh, get to be creative in the field uh, with photographs, it, it's inspiring and it's freeing. And, you know, it, it's almost like my leisure time becomes sort of my professional career in, in some way. Mm. And, uh, and it's wonderful that all that stuff can wrap together. Uh, photography, I think, is one of the few uh, careers where that's true. And I'm sure a lot of people might, uh, might write in and, and say they've got the same experience. And please do. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's almost like it's a, it's a gift, you know, being able to do that and, and making uh, enough to keep the lights on and, and pay the bills. Mm. Um, Projects like uh, like like this book, you know, really showcase um, how you can, you know, sort of uh, step up and, and and build something. Uh, you know, even if you're an amateur, you know, you could you could take on a project like this. Maybe it'll kickstart a career. Who knows? Mm. Um, it it all depends on on what you're into and and if there's enough of an audience and and if what you're doing is uh, uh, is you know is worthwhile. And everybody should have something like that. Everybody should have a, a, a project in mind as a photographer. Mm. You know, a lot of people that are into photography might not only be into photography. Maybe they're into cars or sports or uh, something else. And, and if you can wrap photography into that and you can really dig deep and, and make a project out of that, then, uh, then go for it. I mean, there's so many opportunities now. The, the Internet has really been uh, you know, a, a freedom platform for creativity, mm. uh, because yeah, you know, ten years ago I couldn't have done this. Even five years ago, I probably could not have done this. Mm. Um, and, uh, and and there was other mistakes made as well. And, and I'm I'm learning quite a bit about this whole process too. Mm. So, you know, what else? What else did you learn? You know, that we've we've covered a lot about the process. Um, for example, how did you how did you actually select the media for your book? You 
you know, the, the paper stock? Did, did you go in and they showed you various types or did you, you know from the start that you were going to go with the same sort of stuff that they used for the magazine? How did all of that work? Well, I use the magazine as a as a starting point, mm-hmm. uh, and it, when you're talking about paper for these kinds of uh, projects, they'll rate them in a number system from five to one. Mm-hmm. Five being the worst quality, one being the highest quality. Mm-hmm. And uh, most magazines are printed on a number three paper stock, mm-hmm. and um, and that that's uh, the numbers are roughly related to the white point of the paper, which is how bright the paper stands on its own. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that a lot of my snowflakes, I mean, the, the brightness is important, right? Because yeah. you want them to, to really have a lot of punch. Yeah. And so I upgraded the, the one that they had originally given me was a number three, which mm. is about standard. And I had upgraded that to a number two. Okay. And uh, originally, the book was printed on a 60-pound paper stock, which yeah. is, again, pretty standard. Um, the reprint was done on an 80-pound paper stock. Mm. And, and that helps yeah, the pages are then thicker, uh, and it helps uh, prevent uh, transparency, where mm. if you have like text on one side of the page, it makes it less readable through the other side of the page. Yeah, And uh, so th- there's all sorts of little considerations, just like when you're picking out uh, paper for your uh, inkjet printer. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, seven or eight. Uh, bigger companies and, and each of them have different product lines and um, and a lot of them overlap and so you know what's what you know there's hundreds of different comparisons you can make uh, there's fewer choices in the uh, the press printing world but there's still some choices to be made mm. um, I think the one that we had gone with uh, is called Opus uh, from uh, Sappy I think is the uh, the name of the paper company mm. and okay. uh, and I was very happy with uh, with those results. Uh, they, they had recommended that, and I looked up the specs on their website, and I did some comparisons to other things, you know, versus the price points and this kind of stuff. And mm. um, and it was uh, uh, the the best quality that mm. I could reasonably afford. It's not the best paper out there, uh, but to do it with um, you know some of the the extremely high end stuff would have just about doubled the production cost. Mm. And so that <laughs> that wouldn't exactly be feasible, no. uh, in, including the the added cost of the reprint. And um, one thing that I hadn't factored uh, when I was originally doing the uh, the Indiegogo campaign, the crowdfunding, mm. is uh, paper is heavy, mm. and this book is big, and it's all paper, mm. and so shipping costs uh, <laughs> are higher than I had originally anticipated. Mm. Uh, so I ended up spending around another ten thousand dollars on shipping, <laughs> and <laughs> and to, to get that out to all the the, the contributors. So. Uh, thankfully, you know, I've been selling tons of books since the crowdfunding campaign and I'm mm. just about to hit, uh, the, the break even point now. Um, but you know, if you're thinking about a project like this, please consider the cost of shipping. Mm. Um, because you know, to, to ship things to, um, uh, to Europe from Canada via, uh, airmail, mm. like the cheapest form of it costs between 45 and $55 for a book. Yeah. Uh, and you know, shipping to the U.S. from Canada costs like twenty bucks a book. Mm. Uh, within Canada, it can be a little bit cheaper, but only as cheap as say uh, eight dollars a book, and it gets, goes up from there. Mm. And so, you know, all those numbers across. Uh, I think I've uh, I had pre-sold uh, through the crowdfunding campaign around five hundred and fifty copies of the book. Mm. Uh, so you add the shipping cost on top of that, uh, especially because you know the internet at large is what contributed to this project and would probably contribute to just about any of these projects to make them successful. Mm. So, you know, I've shipped books all over the world. I think there's over 20 countries. Um, I I just uh, shipped about four more books to Norway and Sweden. I guess they love their snow up there. Uh, And one last week to Iceland as well. Nice. 
Nice. And so, you know, th th there's a, a global audience when you do something like this. And it's, it's fun to see, but it's also scary when, when you see all these orders coming in in the crowdfunding campaign from these far off places. And, uh, and, and you know that the shipping cost is going to be pretty extreme. In fact, I, um, to be honest, I actually lost money on a lot of those international orders mm. uh, because the shipping cost was higher than the contribution to the, uh, to the project. Mm. But all's fair in these projects and uh, and I was still more than happy to to get them out there to everybody that contributed and um it's amazing when when people received the book yeah it it's funny so many people would take pictures of it mm. and you know post that online of them holding the book and you know that just that, that warmed my heart that made it all feel worth it yeah and uh and to have people just saying how amazing it was and um you know I I also ran the risk of people not really replying like that, maybe getting negative feedback because mm. uh, they might not have liked it. Mm. Uh, and, you know, that, that, that would uh, sort of tear me apart. But thankfully at this point, you know, cross my fingers and, and knock on wood, mm. um, nobody's complained. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I, having received a, a copy of the, the original press run and the second one, obviously I can see a little bit of improvement in quality. And the, I, I was thinking that the paper thickness was, had changed. Um, but I, I can't imagine anybody, that, if someone has felt it strongly enough to, to want to actually buy it, obviously, they, you've already got a positive, an, an indication of positiveness there. People have already paid for a book. Um, when it arrives, I, I can't imagine it's not going to surpass someone's expectations. It, they, you really have done an excellent, excellent job with it. And, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I think it's, it's probably one of the, those books. I mean, and also, I mean, I noticed that you've got the option to to have them, you know, for people for you to sign them before you send them out. It's one of those books that it may even be. I mean, it's it's by default it's in short supply. It's not a big publish publishing house that's put this out. So, I imagine that to a certain degree they're going to become collectors' items, especially as as you go on and become a, an even more internationally famous photographer. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, you never know. Don't, don't uh, put me up on a pedestal, but, uh, but well, no, you, it, you it's never funny. know. You never know, but um, you look at this too. And, and, and the final end of this whole project, you know, okay, so I've got the book and I've shipped it out to everybody, but you know, I'm doing all of the shipping myself. Mm -hmm. And the yeah. book, you know, as far as distribution is concerned, you know, for the most part, it's me yeah. and it, it's my website. Yeah. And so I have to then continue to uh, to, to keep the, uh, the 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 marketing buzz going and that kind of stuff. But also, I you know I look and see okay, well maybe I want to put it on Amazon and maybe I want to put it um, in bookstores and that kind of stuff. And mm. and that's when things get get kind of scary and depressing because yeah. you know, if you're talking about like a, a physical print book going into a physical bookstore, yeah. um, we have uh, Indigo Books here in uh, in Canada. They own a couple of brands like Chapters and Coles, and um, they might exist in other countries as well, but they're brick-and-mortar bookstores, mm. and um, they'll take books on consignment on uh, per-store levels. I tried to get in touch with their main distributors, but they wouldn't even give me the courtesy of a response. Mm. Um uh, but they would take 40% of the sticker price right off the bat. Yeah. And uh, and so then I would get the remaining 60% of which I have costs associated with, like the production and all that. Mm. Uh, and uh, and so there, there's that as an option. Mm. The other option is if you go to Amazon and do Amazon full, full, uh, for fulfillment, 
mm. they'll take uh, 55% of the sticker price. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, of course, I would have to pay to ship the books to them. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny that they request that you use either uh, FedEx or UPS because yeah. you have to pay, like for, for me in Canada, shipping to Amazon's distribution centers in the US, mm. um, I have to pay duty when it crosses the border. Mm. So even with the cheapest methods from, uh, from FedEx, it would cost me more than my profit would be to ship the books to Amazon. I would lose money on every sale. Yeah, and and so I'm thinking, okay, well, this is just stupid. Yeah, I mean, how do I get to to the bigger audience? So you're right. You know, there are still some challenges to overcome. Mm. And um, and uh, you know, right now, every book that that's in people's hands is you know, is passed by me uh, to some degree. Yeah, and uh, and I'm I'm thrilled when people uh, want it autographed and that kind of stuff. And uh, for the beginning, you know, it was funny. Uh, I was trying to to get through all of the books as fast as I could to get them shipped out. So up until a little while ago, almost every book that went out, uh, well, everything was still in the queue. And of course, everything through the crowdfunding campaign mm. had been autographed. Oh, and yeah. uh, now I can start being selective about it. And yeah. uh, now that I'm caught up with all of my orders. Yeah. Um, but it's it, it's just that that final step now uh, to, to get it noticed by by a larger audience is mm. uh is tricky and there's no way to uh uh to to keep it all uh in my hands anymore and so now i'm at sort of the crossroads of whether or not i should sort of let it go or or, or keep it close to my heart and and to see you know what distribution could make of it but i know i won't make any money on it so mm. um there, there's there's some questions to be had and, and there's still some lessons to be learned yeah well, I think that the obviously you, you've got you've got the book now. You've still got. I mean, do do you have a fair amount of stock left? I I know. Oh, yeah. That you, yeah. So uh, I mean, I've I've got about two thousand copies left. Oh, uh, cool. So I've I've gone through a thousand by now. I've owned hmm. five hundred and fifty through the crowdfunding campaign, and then I've sold uh, a couple of hundred more hmm. uh, since then. And uh, and so you know I'm. I'd probably be be selling a, at least a couple of hundred, if not more, uh, a month at this point. You know, especially being the winter and all. Mm. Uh, and uh, I missed the Christmas season. You know, the, the books arrived at my door in very early December, and mm. I really struggled to just ship them out to people before Christmas. Mm. But I didn't have the time to do much in the way of promotions, and that's a necessary thing in order to to, to make people aware when they're doing their Christmas shopping. Yeah. Um, so there's always next year for that too, and this is the kind of book that doesn't go out of style from one year to the next. Mm, yeah, and and I guess that's an important lesson to learn too. When you're doing this kind of stuff, you know, try as hard as you can to make it timeless. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. So you've you've obviously you've you've given us a whole lot of stuff to think about here, and I I think that the understanding postage costs is priceless. You know, obviously we we people generally tend. I mean, I've I've been shipping prints around the year around the world for years now. And I, I've got my own costs down. But when you start something new like this, it's difficult to figure it all out. You know, obviously, the best thing to do is to find out how much it's going to weigh and go and, and go and build all of that in from the start. But it's easy to say that now that you've given us the information on, on how you slipped up in that area, you know. So <laughs> I think it's, it's a great, it's a good, you know, anyone that is going to, is thinking of doing something like this. This could be a, an invaluable reference. So I'm, I'm really pleased that we got to talk about all of this today. And, and the final question then, Martin, that I have for you is, have you tried to go and photograph any snowflakes? I, I haven't done that. You know what? I, we don't get a lot of snow that, that it's very sticky and wet. And just uh, in Tokyo here, it just melts straight away. 
And on my tours, although we get some beautiful snow, we're generally concentrating on the wildlife. And there's, there's not much time to actually go, you know, go and do, grab a macro and go and actually photograph the, the, uh, the snow. And what, I mean, I'd love to do it. But the other, the other big problem is that because it's a landscape and wildlife tour, the, the participants generally don't have the, the weight allowance to bring a macro lens with them as well. <laughs> so, you know, we, we're in the situation where even on my tours, although we're surrounded by beautiful quality snow, we don't get a chance to do it very much. And a few people do bring macros and they'll, they'll have a play with that stuff, but it's not something that we we're able to really do. Uh, but you know, I mean, the, the, just looking at the book itself makes me want to grab a woolly mitten and and give it a try. And I think that's another another beautiful thing about the book itself. It it, it, it inspires people to give it a try. It's not difficult to do. Mm. I mean, uh, the, the editing is, is kind of complicated, but if you just want a single shot of a snowflake, I mean, yeah. the process is really laying out a black mitten. Uh, well, at least that's what I do, but you know, feel free to choose whatever you'd like. Mm. Uh, having a snowflake fall on it and then getting in with the right angle at a good enough magnification and, mm. uh, and fire away. I mean, the process, you know, if you distill it down that far, is pretty simple. Mm. And it's a heck of a lot of fun seeing all these different crystals in your viewfinder and, uh, and then taking those images of something that is, is truly fleeting. I mean, it's only going to exist uh, the way you photograph it for a couple of minutes, less than an hour for sure. Mm. Well, I remember we talked about this in the previous chat of ours as well but i um i remember you talking about the fact that you know that the woolly mitten works well because it's got the fibers that keep the snowflake suspended and and you know away from the what warmth would be in, in the mitten right Right. So it, it acts as an insulator. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's funny because in some images I can see where it's making contact with the uh, the fibers of the mitten at one or two points, and I can see it starting to melt at those points. Yeah. yeah. And so you can imagine that if it was on a flat surface, like, uh, you know, I can't imagine what other flat, sur- I, like, the, you know, the, the cover of my barbecue is, uh, is a flat black surface and that mm. kind of stuff. But yeah. the snowflake would lay flat on that. And if it's making contact at every single point, then it's probably going to start melting at just about every single point there as well. Mm. Uh, and so it'll last um, an even shorter amount of time, especially at the more comfortable shooting temperatures around the freezing point. Mm. You know, it's um, they'll be fine at around minus twenty, but you certainly wouldn't be. <laughs> uh, and and so uh, it, it also you know a good contrast for the background. Mm. But because of the, those fibers lifted away from a background, mm. uh, it's easy to make the background completely out of focus. Uh, yeah. And there's a few very simple tricks in focus stacking to really just push it all out of focus pretty simply and uh, and use a cloning tool to clean up the rest. And and you know it's it's one of those things where sure I mean. Snowflakes are a very, very niche subject, mm. but if you do anything in the world of, of macro photography, a lot of those techniques sort of apply in, in much the same way, mm. whether you're photographing flowers or insects or water droplets, I do a lot of that as well. Mm. Um, and and the, a very similar workflow is used when I'm doing uh, water droplets and, and refracted images and water droplets and that mm. kind of stuff mm. uh, as to the snowflakes. Yeah. So a, a lot of those puzzle pieces of photography are translatable to, uh, to other skills and, and, and other genres. Yeah, I uh, I've done focus focus stacking and had a lot of fun with that. Um, but yeah, you I mean you go into all of this detail in the book as well. It's not just a it's not a coffee tail book as such that it's just to pick up and look at the pretty pictures. You actually go into all of these details in the book, so it's a great reference as well. 
oh yes be prepared (laughs) (laughs) well as i say i mean i I know how scientific you are you always you always know all of the terminology and everything and um it's it's just a a pleasure to look through so i'm i'm uh, i i've got a a whole bunch of books that i uh i have received over the years and obviously there there are some books make you want to to read them instamatically you know, you've got to jump in um i had to leave these on my table for a couple of weeks unfortunately because they uh yeah they came at a busy time and i i was trying to sort of get a lot of other stuff done but once i cracked them open i was glued it was like oh oh that's how he does it so yeah lots of incredibly good information in there and so i uh I, I, what I'll do is, I mean, obviously we're here to talk about the process, but I will put a link to uh, the to the the, play, the page where you can actually go and buy a book, a copy of this. Uh, but it, it's at skycrystals.ca if you want to, if you're just listening and want to jump over there. Um, but Don obviously does have a few copies left, and uh, and it's a beautiful book if you're interested. And uh, at this point, you know, I've put in a lot of effort and, uh, and I've effectively made no money, but I am so happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things that at this point, it really hasn't paid off uh, in, in any financial way. Mm. Uh, but if more people buy the book, then it certainly would. Mm. Uh, but man, even if it didn't, you know, the, the learning experience uh, throughout this, learning an entirely new industry uh, in, in the, uh, the press printing world and um, learning new software and, uh, and gaining a lot of experience in every facet of self-publishing mm. uh, from the crowdfunding all the way through to fulfillment. Man, yeah. it's, it's, been a, it's been a great experience and I can't wait to do it again. I don't know when. It'll probably be a couple of years. Mm. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm still energized from this first process, mm. and and I'm so excited to to think. Okay, well, what is the next one going to be? Yeah. Uh, and uh, and yeah, it, it, it'll be fun again. It, hopefully, uh, fewer mistakes the second time around, mm. uh, and still a lot more to learn. Well, you've you've obviously you've learned so much, um, and the the way. The way you've done this is, and and sharing this with us today is probably going to be one of the biggest uh, the biggest resources um, that I can think of on on doing something like this. So I'm I'm really pleased that we had a chance to chat about this today. Um, and I, I also, I mean, on what you just said, we it's not always about the money. You, and as you you know you you're attesting to here, um, I I didn't make a hell of a lot of money on my pixels to pigment workshop that I did last year. In fact, I lost a few thousand dollars. But I got to meet some great people. I got to travel around the world. And it's, it, you know, you learn a lot. You meet people. You do things that if it doesn't work out financially, you figure out how to make it work next time. Um, but having the, the, the desire to go out and learn something new like that, it's, it's just great. You know, yeah, I, I enjoy doing this sort of thing. And I think that being able to share it like this will help others to not make the same mistakes that we did. Um, and you know it's it's all it's all good stuff and and i also encourage anybody out there that's thinking about this but we might not have answered uh, a, a question uh, send me an email because i'm more than happy to talk about this and fill in any gaps i, I can't uh, think of anything that i haven't mentioned just now but um, i'm always happy to uh, to hear back from you yep. and you can find that on uh, you know skycrystals.ca the, the contact information uh, is there as well to to get in touch and uh, and let me know what you think sounds good so you can also catch up with Don at Dom, Don.com. So that's D-O-N-K-O-M dot C-A as well. 
Uh, but I'll put links to all of this and a few photos in the blog post. Uh, and that's going to be at mbp.ac406 for episode 406. So, Don, really, thanks very much for joining us today. It's I've had a blast talking as usual, and uh, well, you know, I'm sure it won't be many months before we're doing this again. But uh, thanks very much. Oh, thank you again for having me, Martin. It was a blast. Okay, so thanks very much for listening today. Remember that you can find me on Google+, Twitter, Facebook, etc., and links to everything that I'm up to are at martinbaileyphotography.com. So do drop by and take a look. I'll be back next week with another episode, but in the meantime, you take care and have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye.